All right, guys. Hello and welcome. It is time for Tech 37. So glad to have you with us. This is episode three of three in our series. We are talking about hybrid cloud today. We've previously covered public cloud. We've covered private cloud. And magically, it all comes together in probably some of the most, I don't want to say contentious discussions, but some of the most interesting discussions with the same panel of experts that we had uh, on the previous private cloud show. Uh, they're all back. I'll juice them in just a moment, but you're going to enjoy this. There's a lot of good stuff to understand here, and it's literally in the definitions. It's how you look at these things that really can point to which way you're going and if you're on the right path. That's what we're going to talk about today. It's Tech 37, your home for technology, education, and collaboration. My name is Rob Boyd. Let's meet the experts, shall we? Okay, good. We're not in black and white anymore, Sean. I was trying to figure out what happened to what happened to my standard countdown. Something something fat fingered in there incorrectly. Good to have Sean with me. He's here in the uh, in the cave, so to speak. He's in a different part of the studio, way over three feet to my left. But um, we're going to do some introductions here. Introduce you guys all over again, Sean. Let's start with you. Sure. So Sean Hicks, Worldwide Technology. I uh, I'm a technical solution architect, and I cover um, hybrid cloud platforms for the for the organization. Very much, and it is specifically hybrid cloud. I found that interesting. Oh yes, absolutely. That you guys get, you guys have so many smart people that you have to narrow down because you're all everybody here is technical solutions architect except for me, um, but I know TSAs as they are. And uh, so James, you were on last time. Well, all of you are were last time, but you mind recapping for us what is your level, your area of expertise? Sure. Yeah. So James Harless, I'm also a solutions architect, as you mentioned, on the global engineering team here at Worldwide, and I cover software defined data center, which is the uh, really the technical underpinnings of a private cloud, as we talked about this in the last gonna, session. This is going to get good, Jeff, because Jeff, you're also, you have some SDDC experience, if, I, if I'm if i cool enough to use the acronym. That's all right. Point forward. <laughs> yeah. What are you responsible yeah. for, Jeff? Yeah. Uh, so Jeff Marseille, global engineering team as well, technical solutions architect, peer of James and Sean. Uh, but I am responsible for Hyperconverge, which is a uh, potential product that can tie into not only the SDDC part uh, that James covers, but uh, also helps with the hybrid cloud story as well. Perfect. Because, and, and I, as always, I need you guys to keep each other honest and keep each other, something's triggering in your head about that doesn't sound quite right, or it's not completely true or in all situations, whatever it may be. That's exactly where we want to dive in on, uh, as you well know. But let's start with this, Sean. I wonder if you could, uh, we were talking about this in our, in our pre-show, which is also just you arriving at my house um, <laughs> about what the, the definition of hybrid cloud, because it sounds so basic. It sounds like it should be easy. How do you define it? But where, and, and I'll let the rest of the guys jump in on where it begins to differ. Yeah. So Rob, there's actually a, a lot of confusion out there about the term and it's a, just another one of those things that if, you know, ask 10 people get it, get 10 answers. But the reality is there is a standard definition for hybrid cloud. I think we've covered it before in some of the other broadcasts, but that, that comes from the, uh, the NIST, uh, in the, uh, the the definition of cloud computing, and it's a deployment model defined as uh, some technology that enables the ability to uh, seamlessly move workloads and data in between uh, disparate clouds that could be private, could be public, uh, but those clouds don't necessarily uh, mesh to become one of the same. They actually retain their uh, their their individual natures. It's just that we have that technology that's that's allowing us to to move those workloads and data in between them. Well, and I think as I've learned from you guys, this is where things begin to diverge a bit because we need to make sure we're not only having a technology discussion, not simply to keep things business oriented per se, but because it misses the point of hybrid cloud, I think. So James, um, 
this one I remember coming up. I'll just tee you up. Why, you know, I have a lot of things that I've virtualized. Why is that the same or, or not the same as, as having cloud, let's say? Yeah, so th that's great. Uh, as Sean mentioned, cloud being an operating model, it's really about how we deliver services, how we operationalize the infrastructure, how we transform our organization to meet that model. And then, then of course, when you pair that with hybrid, you're, it's a specific deployment model on top of the cloud operating model. And it's, it's an interesting topic because uh, we have, you know, everybody gets into their own kind of focus spot, right? And so for people who are, let's say, focused on the public cloud, and they think cloud means a public cloud provider, and specifically what's available in that space, we've heard people say, hey, hybrid cloud must mean I'm not ready to fully adopt a public cloud, so therefore I'm part ways on that journey. That is not what hybrid cloud is, very, very specifically. So. And I want to get it, Jeff, do you have anything to add to this? Because I, I, I want to get in the meat of it, which is looking at the, the cloud maturity curve, because it's this is where some of these things begin to maybe make more sense structurally. But you have any other comments on how people are defining or not defining correctly uh, hybrid cloud in their approach? Uh, no, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more with what James just said. Uh, he definitely hit the nail on the head there. I, I think that there are different uh, avenues to approach the hybrid cloud and how you're going to operationalize, uh, how you actually get to that uh, end state. But uh, no, I, I think everything that James and Well, Sean is this true? Because Sean, I think I remember it was you mentioning it was, and, and everyone arrives at maybe hybrid cloud differently in terms of where they started if, if they weren't necessarily targeting it. But am I correct in remembering you said a lot of people uh, mistakenly look at it as a fallback option or I'm going for private cloud, but then it got kind of hairy, didn't quite execute, so I'm falling back to hybrid cloud. Mm. So it really depends on the business outcome you're looking for. There, there are certainly things that you can achieve uh, through hybrid cloud that are sort of low-hanging fruit. It's not going to the far end of you know the maturity curve that we're going to be looking at a little bit here. But there's there's different things that you might use hybrid cloud as a solution for. Maybe you want to uh, get out of the data center business, have your IT department focused on other things that are more meaningful to the business, move more towards an OpEx type model. But you still need to maintain that uh, that infrastructure, probably because you have commercial off-the-shelf software that has certain support requirements, uh, or your application was just built a certain way, and you're not really ready to transform that application yet using, say, cloud-native technologies. Or maybe you want to get those those applications closer to other pieces of those application stacks, those service stacks, where they are starting to transform or utilize uh, cloud-native uh, things. For, for instance, could be a database, right? Maybe we're using say, AWS's RDS as a database going forward, but we still have other pieces of that application stack that are sitting on VMware, for instance. And so yeah. we need the ability to get those two workloads from a network perspective, fewer hops away from each other, and that, that, that generally is an outcome we can achieve with hybrid cloud. But that's not really the end goal, uh, Rob, because I think where we're focused today is more and more organizations are getting away from you know cloud first and becoming cloud smart. And when we talk okay. about being cloud smart, it's really about putting applications and data wherever they make the most sense for the organization at that time. That could be a cost effectiveness. That could be, uh, you know, a compliancy concern. But whatever, whatever is the driving force there, we want that flexibility to, again, you know, back, back to the definition of hybrid cloud, to be able to make workloads go live wherever they make the most sense for the business at this moment in time. And right. then 
that that bleeds into helping businesses achieve a cost effectiveness with their cloud spend because you know we're, we're seeing a lot of, of interest in that right now because businesses are starting to realize and I've seen some studies that say up to 30% of a business's cloud spend is unnecessary uh, and so as customers look to optimize that they may they may start moving towards a more mature hybrid cloud deployment model where they do have that flexibility and maybe even have some automation on the back end uh, and some monitoring that is uh, moving these workloads around in real time. That's sort of the very, very highest end of the maturity model. And, uh, you know, it may be something that, honestly, we never actually get to. It may be something that we're always striving for and always, you know, adding capability, adding capability. But that is, you know, the vision uh, yeah. going forward for achieving that uh, that that cost-effective uh, cloud spend in our organization. I love that point too. I'll never reach full maturity, but that's part of the plan. <laughs> you know, that's exactly the way it was intended. Um, I brought up, so this is my version. It's actually not a different version. It's just different colors. Uh, Cause I recreated WWT's hybrid cloud maturity model. We'll show you, we've got a link um, on WWT's website where you'll see this exact same information along with a bunch of other good information as a follow up here. But guys, I really want to spend some time on this one and talk about uh, first of all, what makes sense and what doesn't make sense? Because at a high level, just going left to right here, just to call it out, we start with legacy infrastructure, which could mean many different things to many different people, but we'll say they're not clouds. Uh, but it's interesting that it says multiple public clouds. Uh, Sean, you were mentioning, I'm turning my left since he's here with me. Uh, we're mentioning that um, uh, that, that you, you had a little bit of a problem with that one. We'll come back to that in a moment. But, but then we get to software defined or SDDC, which you guys mentioned some expertise in. Before we get to private cloud is number two, then we get to hybrid cloud, but distinct from that's hybrid cloud management, and then distinct from that's hybrid cloud monitoring and optimization. So I want to talk about why these things are in this order. I don't know, Sean, I know you were just talking again anyway, but since you since you've made this comment, what's wrong with having multiple public clouds potentially with that first part of the model here? What's that well, implication? Well, I mean, we, we, need some, we need some context here, right? So, okay. when so at the low end of the maturity curve, when we're talking about legacy infrastructure, we're really talking about being in a position where IT is not moving at a speed that that is uh, sufficient for the needs of the business or organization. And so, uh, you know, I, we, we used to talk a lot about uh, shadow IT. It's a term I don't hear a whole lot anymore. But the reality is at the low end of the maturity curve is a model where organizations have this legacy IT infrastructure. They're not taking care of the needs of the business uh, quickly enough, and so people are going out and adopt, adopting public cloud where they can, you know, swipe the card and get what they need, and they're doing that outside of, you know, what IT is trying to do. And so it's, um, you know, I don't want to use the word siloing here because we're going to use that later in a different context, but the reality is you know, what you have now is the organization, whether or not you know it, has gone around IT and is and is adopting public clouds just to yeah. be able to get what they need faster. Meanwhile, you have this legacy infrastructure sitting there that's that's not really helping the, the company out because typically it's it's uh, it's undersubscribed, overbuilt, and uh, and when people start moving the workloads elsewhere, that just gets worse. Yeah, James, is the is it the easy button? Public clouds, is that why they're there? <laughs> yeah, well, it, it can be for certain teams, for certain projects, it can be the easy button to get something done, but it's uh, not necessarily the end goal that the that the business wants to get to. And it, you know, there's there's a lot of drivers here. Sean's touched on a lot of really good reasons to kind of focus on hybrid cloud as its own outcome. And that, that's really what this maturity curve is speaking to. Like, I think a lot of people mistakenly think that hybrid cloud is on the journey 
to a full, like eventually I'll just get everything in the public cloud. And, you know, Sean gave some great reasons why that's not the case, but there's, there's also things around intellectual property and business practices and stuff where you may want to keep your crown jewels on some asset that you own and manage and isn't monitored by some other entity who might use your model, what you've basically created as a business to create their own business, their own competing product or, or something like that. So, well, so there's, this, there's good reasons. To here's one thing I wondered about this one. And I wondered, James, how big of a jump is it to go as we're looking at this model here, just staying to the one side, you go from legacy infrastructure to SDDC. Is that a, yeah. is that a big step? It in, is. In yeah. Itself? Yeah. So, so there's a, there's a bunch of things that are in between those two steps. So that that's a, a essentially a five-step maturity curve in and of itself, but, but the big steps in there, you know, that customers go through this process of, of virtualizing infrastructure. They go through this process of, um, you know, uh, creating automation frameworks to help automate certain subtasks, but, but ultimately to get to a full SDDC, we have to have an, uh, a deployment and operational model that support a private cloud. So, so those are things like automated, the ability to request services and have them deployed fully automatically and have those services be monitored and measured and have that monitoring be available to the customer that requested that service. So yeah, those, these are paradigm shifts. So it's safe to say that we have to find a way to abstract um, the the intelligence you know what we would normally buy physical pieces of equipment for we have to abstract that intelligence away and put it into a software model just so we can get to the next step of the curve which is let's let's now go and adopt a cloud operating model which is where we're achieving the salient characteristics of that model whether that's agility and elasticity or uh, self-service provisioning or ubiquitous network access or the ability to uh, to, to, to give those services out as a metered service. In other words, you know, for private cloud, we might be talking about chargebacks, showbacks, and whatnot. Well, see, I like I think, the, what you're saying there. Yeah, go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's, it's also important to understand that even as organizations start to look at a software, or the SDDC, the software-defined data center, and the private cloud, they can't lose track of if they do have a goal to make it to that hybrid cloud model, that decision on the SDDC and private cloud side are absolutely going to affect how the hybrid cloud is going to be deployed and managed because they have to talk to each other. They have to be on the same page. It's not something that a, you're going to, you're not going to go and create a hybrid cloud team that's going to work with a private cloud team. They have to be one and the same with the same end goal and vision in mind. That is absolutely a great point, Jeff, because, you know, in the last episode, we talked about the new silos. And I told you all that this was going to come back up again, but in a different context. So we talked about the new silos being these sort of centers of excellence that get built around individual clouds, both private and public. You have an AWS team, you have a Google Cloud team, you have a VMware team, you have uh, a, a Red Hat team. And so, you know, when we get to the point where now we can extend these workloads and, and this data from, you know, point A to point B seamlessly, now we're talking about breaking down those silo walls. So, for instance, if we're going to go deploy VMware on top of AWS, we need our VMware team to be able to work cohesively with our AWS Center of Excellence. And I want to draw this out because I think what you, one thing you guys are saying here is it I find it interesting that as we look at these and granted the steps could be dissected in many different ways there's so many things behind each one of these steps but am I hearing you correctly you're saying that really you do you need to uh, take seriously this notion of SDDC and the principles thereof and what that implies and what you're doing with it before you even can consider yourself really doing private cloud efficiently I mean 
do you guys not see customers that, that maybe try to skip those steps and accelerate things? Because I, and, and does that work or not? What's, what are the risks there? Yeah, I, I definitely customers will skip these steps, right? And go straight to, hey, I'm just going to deploy some VMC on AWS and I'm going to use my legacy operating model. And, and you do have a hybrid environment. You have a, let's say you, with Sean's example, you're using VMC on AWS. You do have a hybrid VMware environment, but I would argue it's not a cloud. It's two virtual infrastructures that are connected together through a piece of networking. You do not have a cloud operating model. And that's what we're talking about here is, you know, yes, we're gonna ultimately connect those two together with some networking tools, but it's more than that. We're talking about an operating model that bridges mm. these two spaces and supports the business in, in the way that they're expecting. Does this imply different things, Jeff? I'll, I'll pose this one at you. Um, because you, you kind of brought this thing up. Is it What about a single vendor approach or not when it comes to building in a hybrid cloud direction? Because when you, you mentioned, uh, we've mentioned avoiding silos and such, is it implicit in that? Does the silos have something to do with what, what the knowledge base of the team has and how important does that become somewhere in this? Yeah, uh, I think there, there are some mixed feelings about whether you want to go single vendor or figure out a base and then try to pick some best of breed for whatever problem you're looking to solve at that point in time. The, you know, for me personally, I, you know, there needs to be a base there that is going to be that vendor, the vendor that you're going to build everything around, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to use every little piece or every little tool that that vendor offers, which, which I think is, is really important to understand. Personally, if, if I'm taking a, a vendor for the base hypervisor, but then I need to go do something with containers, it doesn't necessarily that they have the best thing for me as a business, but I need to understand how is this going to connect to, to not only my on-premises infrastructure and how that's going to be managed and monitored, but you know when we talk, especially when we talk about containers, the, the public cloud has a big play in that. I want to understand how that's going to fit in and how I'm going to be able to wrap my hands around managing all of that and not getting it uh, to be completely out of control. Uh, and, and then my spend in the public cloud, just as Sean mentioned, is 30% above what it actually needed to be. Yeah, so it's very interesting, Jeff, because I, we, we always, you know, come into these conversations sort of dancing around this topic of, you know, vendor lock-in or, you know, as it were, cloud lock-in. If we're talking about just, a, you know, wholeheartedly accepting somebody else's, uh, you know, SDDC as part of our cloud, cloud strategy, you know, in the case of like I'm adopting AWS or I'm adopting Azure. And, you know, if you go back to episode one of this series, uh, you know, our, um, our colleagues – uh, Yoni and Galen, what they were discussing is, you know, you really do want to avoid cloud lock-in and they were approaching that from the, from a different perspective, which is, Hey, you should be able, you should be free to choose whatever clouds you want, whatever clouds are going to meet the needs of the business. Um, then there's, there's another piece to that though, as we discussed in, in part two, which is you probably want to pick one, maybe two and get really good at those before you go try to tackle others because this stuff is complex and the more of these clouds you adopt, the more complexity you're inviting into your environment. And then there's the third piece, you know, because we also discussed in the previous episode sort of, you know, how it's people process and technology. And we were talked a lot about how that technology lift is yours to do when it comes to private cloud. And so now we're at a point where, okay, the outcome for private cloud is, you know, going to cost us a dollar amount. There's some dollar figure attached to that business outcome. How we spend that money, right? We could 
push the easy button and go with some vendor who offers an off-the-shelf solution that supposedly works really well, um, in which case we're spending that money on things. Uh, some other organizations have gone a different route. They've decided to go try to piecemeal that, build it themselves, and now we're spending that money on people because we need you know more talent and more, more coding and automation capabilities. And so... You know, I think there's different layers to this to this single vendor conversation. And it may be, you know, that your organization wants to go single vendor in a certain area, but not in others. And it really just depends. James, I, I hear you, you see you nodding on some things, but what Sean's reminded me yeah. of here is you had brought up some examples where customers had gone a little bit too aggressive, perhaps, in certain directions. And as they were looking to then kind of course correct, one of the drawbacks was, I think the phrase you used was brain drain. And I feel like that yeah. there's a there's a part. What's what do we need to watch out for there? Yeah, and and uh, a lot of that has to do with recognizing that hybrid cloud is is possibly the actual business com- outcome that you're looking for. A, a lot of customers in the early days, t- Sean mentioned it earlier about uh, cloud first, right? They they would say cloud first. They did not mean cloud. They meant public cloud, and so they would uh, let these statements kind of ripple through their IT organizations. And a lot of guys who had these skill sets around maintaining and managing infrastructure, some of their top guys are like, "Well, everything's going out to this." this uh, hyperscaler, so I'm going to go get a different job. Well, and then you quickly find out that cloud first isn't necessarily what you really want. What you're really trying to do is optimize how your data center is, but now you've lost, you know, all the guys at the top layer of your IT group. So, so it's, you know, it's critical to think of hybrid cloud as the possibly the outcome you're looking for, just like public cloud. You may be going all public cloud. You may be going to multiple public clouds with a multi-cloud strategy, or you may be using multiple hybrid clouds as a multi-cloud strategy, or or it may be all on-prem with multiple private clouds, mm-hmm. but but understanding that cloud is the actual outcome and not a vendor in the public space is not what you should be you know going to back you know if you're the C, CIO CTO you don't want to go back to your IT group and say hey you know you're all going to be gone here in three years because I'm moving everything out to you no, know to this other vendor yeah yeah well and I wonder part of me you just got me thinking now if I could picture us looking back at this conversation and many others that we have each individually with customers and such that this is just how you do infrastructure because I feel like hybrid cloud and where we're going with just cloud is we make distinctions today because there is a big, you know, kind of transformational process happening at many different levels with everybody. But I don't see anything that says that this isn't the way things are going to be really for the foreseeable future. There's going to be some data processing and, 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 and what you own and what you do, you know, your data may or may not define what your company does and what makes it unique, but it, it, it matters less and less where you do it and how you do it, perhaps, and those decisions become easier and easier to make as this stuff becomes second nature. But, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it feels like this is, this is just simply the way it is, yeah? I think we have this vision yeah. of, like, a best-of-all-worlds nirvana where we can just kind of put things wherever we want to, wherever they make sense, um, and that's certainly an outcome for hybrid cloud, but as James mentioned earlier, that might, for your business, be multiple hybrid clouds. If we think about the original definition of being able to, you know, move these workloads and, and, and the data they rely on, you know, seamlessly between, uh, you know, disparate clouds, that's really achieved in a few different ways. You know, it could be that we're extending an SDDC on top of somebody else's. It could be that we're uh, adopting a container platform because, you know, runtime engines are fairly ubiquitous in terms of what they support. And, uh, you know, or it could be that I'm piecemealing something together with a whole bunch of third-party and ISV solutions. Whether 
you know, whichever one of those you're trying to achieve, you might be adopting different ones for, for different business use cases in your organization. You know, so for your VMware team, it might be important that they have, you know, a more cost-effective DR strategy by extending VMware up into the public cloud. And for your um, AWS team, for instance, it may be that they want to get some uh, cloud-native workload native to AWS closer to some data set that you, for compliancy reasons, cannot put up into the cloud. And so they may adopt something like an outpost so that they can bring AWS on-prem and have that same, um, that same cloud, but just have it closer to the data and on-prem. Or, you know, maybe, you know, your container guys are wanting to uh, deploy some application and, you know, some of the people who are going to be using it might be local. Some of the people who are going to be using it might be remote workers. And so it makes sense to maybe have it in multiple locations, as it were, so that uh, it's always fewer hops away, always giving a better user experience depending on where those particular users are. There's all sorts of different ways to look at this, but it really comes down to what the business is trying to achieve. You know, what's the objective? What's the strategy? How are we going to get there? Yeah, yeah, Sean, and I think you and James are kind of hitting on it, and, and maybe I'll just bring it back to maybe be a little bit more pointed. But And maybe we brought this up in the last one, too. I don't even remember what I had for lunch today. So, But the, the idea of everything we're talking about here is that at some point, that vision and everything you just described, Sean, there needs to be a glue that brings it all together. And that glue needs to be executive sponsorship. Mm-hmm. They need to be on board. They need to agree to the vision and they need to understand the business value and the business problems they're trying to solve. But without that, we're, these models are just going to go back to a siloed inf- uh, yeah. organization. You get, a, you get a couple of pioneers that are running hard and fast after something, but then yeah. eventually it's going to catch up with the fact that it's not really supported by the business or it's not getting the, it's not hitting cost metrics. It's not hitting value, you know, pointers that you want to hit because of the fact that it's a, it's a, uh, what do you call it? Entrepreneurial type internal venture, uh, which yeah. is really not what you want in the long run. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting that Jeff is bringing this up because really, if you look at all three episodes in this series, Rob, this is sort of a repeating theme that, you know, when it comes to your, uh, you know, the rise, you know, the first episode rise of public cloud and cloud and, you know, multi-cloud strategy, Executive support, super important, right? When it comes to achieving an actual private cloud, meaning that not only do we have an SDDC, but, you know, on-prem, but we also have adopted an actual cloud operating model behind it, meaning that we've achieved these salient characteristics of cloud computing. Again, executive sponsorship, super crucial to getting there. And I think we've mentioned that. And now talking about, you know, hybrid cloud and the outcomes we're trying to to achieve there, once again, it's just, it's just so critical that uh, that the smart guys in your and ladies in your organization have that backing, uh, you know, to, to go forth and and do right by the business. Uh, w- without yeah. it, everything just seems to crumble apart. Well, I love the idea of organizations building something out that everybody does have the freedom to, you know. It used to be IT could remain in its own department and anything that managed cloud, but cloud is so integral at, at across all levels that you're going to need the the input from the different areas. That, um, that no one, you know, that someone from the top down has to be able to understand exactly how that's all going to fit together uh, with the help of the technical people. Let me ask, I'm not sure who to pose this question to, but looking at this diagram, um, the fact that there's distinctions here for hybrid cloud management after connectivity, and then another distinction made for uh, monitoring and optimization. So I, I'm just curious, why is, is, is those, are those important distinct markers for a reason? in the order that they come in, James, yeah. you're 
or so, whoever. So yeah. we sort of talk about, you know, at what stage am I actually a hybrid cloud? And I would say that starting at number three, you actually have a hybrid cloud. You Once you have that connectivity and you've extended an SDDC or you've tied together some Kubernetes environments, now you do have application portability, which is the definition. But how are you managing it? Are you managing it cohesively? Uh, you know, with uh, your, let's say, different... Uh, um, different centers of excellence working cohesively together, like we talked about earlier, with different uh, layers of expertise, networking, security, compute, storage. And so when we get to that, that hybrid cloud management bit, I would say at that point, we're, we don't just have a hybrid cloud, we're effectively managing it and we're starting to operationalize around it. And why that's important is because that's a prerequisite to get to the end stage, which as I said earlier, is something we're always striving for and may never be perfect at. But the end stage is then putting some some intelligence behind that. Maybe you're going to go adopt, say, like uh, AI ops, right? Where I'm going to have, uh, you know, through all of these things that we've operationalized and gotten good with, now we can take all this data, we can dump it into some kind of repository, we can have code looking at that, and we can have responses to data we see that maybe automatically moves workloads around, you know, maybe takes advantage of that elasticity and agility uh, to sort of put things in the right place at any given time, and that's where we start to see, you know, some of these these dreams that we've that we've been talking about forever with things like, you know, maybe you're a tax organization, and suddenly it's tax season, and so you've got some customer-facing application that needs to be in certain locations. It needs to be expanded to serve out a larger audience, but then the rest of the year it's not really necessary. Span the contract. Yeah. Too. So so those yep. are the sorts of like <coughs> bursting models, and there's other examples as well. I'm just using the bursting model as an example here. But those are the sorts of things that if we really want to become efficient with our cloud spend, not only do we need hybrid clouds, but then we need to build in all of this additional intelligence on the back end. And that's the really hard stuff. And that's why that's the very end of the maturity model. And, and to add on to that, I think that uh, it's important to get to that phase or at least be working in there because that is how you compare two hybrid clouds to each other. So if you have a combination of let's say VMC from VMware and you're using a, a VMware hybrid cloud and you also for other reasons have have uh, deployed a AWS Outpost on-prem and you have this connectivity. So you have these two kind of competing hybrid clouds deployed inside your environment. You want to optimize how you're using each of them. You want to make sure that the workloads that, that are most optimally fit there are placed, placed appropriately. And you're not gonna get there unless you have some really advanced monitoring and optimization going on, where you're really studying what's happening and how much it costs per hour to run these services. So. Yeah. Jeff, do you wanna harass him at all for bringing vendor names into it finally? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, you know, there, there are different ways you can do that. James named two of them. You can either take your on-prem and extend out to the cloud, public cloud, yeah. or you can take your public cloud and you can extend on-prem. There are multiple different solutions uh, and ways of achieving that. Uh, I think at this point, just about anybody, uh, I shouldn't say just about anybody. There are several options that are out there that can definitely help you get to the, whatever model you're looking to, to deploy. Um, and not one uh, size fits all. It, it's yeah, it's definitely depending on your we, business yeah. requirements. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe it would be worthwhile to mention that there are, you know, a few primary players on, on each side of this because there's really two sides, right? Public extending to... I just think it's important to kind of set context, right? No, I think we, we it's hard to hold back and, and we've had offline discussions yeah. about what's appropriate here and such, but that's the benefit that you guys bring to this equation is you work with everybody 
you see yeah. the the scars, you see what works, uh, what the marketing is versus the technical reality. But yeah, James, go, go ahead and take that for a moment. We've only got a couple of minutes left, but what's important? Yeah, so, so uh, predominantly from the private going to public, which is probably the most common direction, I think, uh, we see VMware, Nutanix, and Red Hat as really big kind of key players. There are a number of other solutions in this space, but these are the guys that are really focused on SDDC and from different approaches. Uh, I would say VMware and Nutanix are very similar in their approach. And then Red Hat has a slightly different theory on this. And then from the public, we have all the, the hyperscalers all have a way to you know extend their data center uh, onto your private cloud. So it, it is important to think of all those kind of different players. I didn't want to, yeah, just no, mention but I like what you're bringing up here is, is everybody's going to have a different starting point. And that's, you know, and the, the, the takeaway as we wind here to the close is that you guys have the ability to help someone understand their operation where it currently is help them understand that they've defined appropriately where it is they want to go. Because I know a lot of times I may come to you just as a loose example, and I have one set of ideas. I think it's real clear in my head, but then by the third or more questions that you've now asked me, I realize, wow, I don't, I didn't understand my destination or my desired outcome as much as I thought I did. Uh, and not in a bad way, you know, in a way of, thank gosh, I engaged some experts because I was just looking at takeaways from us, the whole series, really. A lot of them were already mentioned today. But the, the, the need to be outcome focused, uh, we talked about that one repeatedly. The fact that um, uh, understanding, and this was one I think, James, you brought up earlier, is understanding the difference between an operational model versus a deployment model. Because um, we're often guilty of going into and saying cloud, and we're using words that speak to deployment, but it's this operational model that's missing from the equation. And I think you guys have done a good job of bringing out the importance of that one. I didn't realize SDDC, I mean, I just didn't slow down to think about it, was such an important precursor because I think there's a lot of uh, uh, training wheels and new muscles built, it feels like, with the questions that must be answered to SDDC that build a really proper foundation, it sounds like, from you guys to then give yourself the flexibility to to do whatever you need to do across your group because you didn't skip that step. And you've got, you've got a nice, healthy foundation that's ready to support your next set of business initiatives. Um, and that was another big thing. I, uh, any other final... Um, any final words or, or terms that we need to make sure we take away from this as the third and final in our series? Who wants to take it away? I think Sean. Sean, give ahead, us Sean. our final, give us our final, make it gold, make it something that's going to be like, <laughs> wow, why did he hold back on that one? Well, just the no fact pressure. that there are, there are a lot of options out there, you know, so James was saying, you know, hey, let's throw out there kind of who are the leaders in this space. And, you know, he brought up VMware and he brought up Nutanix and he brought up Red Hat and he also brought up you know, AWS, uh, specifically AWS Outpost, and he brought up, uh, you know, I think, he, you know, he was referring to Azure as in uh, Azure Stack, which, by the way, comes in three different flavors. That's kind of an interesting one because it covers a lot of different deployment models. And then, um, you know, you've also got the container platforms out there. So you think about, okay, now I'm running Kubernetes over here, running Kubernetes over there. And then, you know, how do I cohesively manage that and be able to, to, to move these workloads around? You start looking at things that sort of marry these different environments. And again, you know, you start to see some of these same players in both public and private cloud come to the forefront of that conversation, whether that's a, you know, Red Hat OpenShift uh, or um, VMware Tanzu or uh, Google Anthos with, uh, with GKE and GKE on-prem, or maybe you're looking at like uh, uh, Microsoft Arc with uh, AKS or, uh, or recently, you know, now we have the ability to do uh, um, uh, AWS EKS anywhere. Uh, and then beyond that, it gave, it's even more in the weeds because if you try to piecemeal this, you can't actually achieve some of these outcomes 
by adopting uh, a number of uh, third-party and ISV solutions and and putting that together. So maybe you want to, uh, you know, you have a storage team that's really, you know, up and up on, you know, say like a NetApp, uh, and they want to be able to have those same features and functionalities, but you know, obviously the data needs to go live in, in the public cloud so that it can be closer to a to particular use case. And so that ability to extend that's that functionality but still be consuming native cloud storage services is, is something that we're also seeing a lot of interest in. Or maybe it's a network and security team that wants to set policy once and have that policy uh, be you know, used again in different sites and different, uh, different cloud environments. And so you start looking at things like uh, you know, like uh, Cisco with ACI and Cloud Apic, or you start looking at things like um, VMware with the latest versions of NSX that allow you some of that capability to federate and to have same policy everywhere. Um, or maybe you just want to take advantage of the underlying, um, you know, say infrastructure as a service to sort of achieve similar things. I'm getting played off here. I know. <laughs> I thought maybe put so, some music underneath you, like the orchestra, I'll bring the orchestra. But the reality is it's a complex topic. Hybrid cloud is potentially the business outcome that your organization is looking for, but it's it's a difficult journey, and once you're there, it's, it's more complex than ever. And, yeah. and I, I, I'm sorry, Rob, I just got to add, before you do any of those last things Sean talked about with extending the Apex, come talk to us. We'll explain why you should not be doing that. So. Come talk yeah. to us. Yeah, and this is what I love is that every time you guys talk, I'm like, I want them on my team. That's the, and that really is the whole point is because um, you keep peeling back these layers and you go, it is so easy to do something. It's so easy, I feel like, one thing I've learned here off my final word, to veer into complexity that you never, ever wanted. You think you're getting out of complexity and you might actually be accidentally adding more to it unnecessarily, uh, which right. of course, means money, means time, it means lost personnel who aren't working towards their highest and best you know, uh, use within the company. All the things that ripple out from that. Guys, you are awesome. I've got the website up here. This is, this is the closest you get to an easy button is you go to Worldwide Technology. They have got a ton of resources. I'll have this URL on the screen as we go. As you can see, I did not make up the hybrid cloud maturity model. It's right here on the website. You can get there. We'll pl flash that URL up here at the end again. But these are the guys that have the answers. These are the guys that can do uh, the right thing for you so that you don't make the mistakes as you move forward, no matter what your journey is. Assuming cloud is even the right thing, it's at least the right way to get the conversation started, and then you can find out exactly how it should be handled. But guys, thank you so much for joining us on Tech 37. Thank you to our experts here for rounding out the series. I continue to learn a lot from you guys, and I look forward to doing more in the future. All right? All right, guys. All right. Have Thanks a great rest of your day. <laughs>